learn to do business, learn to design for it. It's time to grow and understand that there's a whole wide world of business out here. I'm coming up with a new dialogue, a new term for designers of a variety of color, hybrid ethnographic designer. I'm telling the young designers, learn your international and be bold and assertive about being ethnographic and diverse and pitch it, sell it, because there's a place for you. Cheryl D. Holmes Miller holds a Master of Science in Communication Design from Pratt Institute and a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the Maryland Institute College of Art and has foundation studies at Rhode Island School of Design. She is also a former business owner of Cheryl D. Miller Incorporated, and she is a design industry winner of countless awards, such as Awards of Special Merit, Association of Graphic Arts, Best of Category, PIA Awards, Award of Excellence, PIA Awards, Graphic Excellence, Nina Paper Awards, Certificate of Excellence from the Art Directors Club of New Jersey, Crystal Awards Business Woman of the Year, and other awards of excellence from the Art Directors Club, Desi Awards, Peabody Awards, Cava Awards, and the Broadcast Design Awards. She is the author of the 1987 print magazine article, Black Designers Missing in Action, which grew out of her master's thesis about the dismally low numbers of blacks recognized as design professionals. In 2016, Cheryl wrote Black Designers Still Missing in Action, and just recently in 2020, Cheryl once again revisited her thesis with Black Designers Forward in Action. All three volumes of her thesis and her research can be found on printmag.com. It is a privilege and an honor to have Cheryl with us today on this episode. Welcome to another episode of Design Dedux Podcast. With me again today is Mandy Horton as my co-host as we talk to uh, many different design educators and, and remarkable people in the world of design. And today we have with us Cheryl Holmes Miller. And she's going to talk with us about women in graphic design and race in graphic design. So, um, Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. You've been a guest prior, but uh, today we're um, starting fresh and new uh, because our, our last recording had some issues. So we're glad that you are willing to be with us again today. Uh, and our listeners are going to benefit greatly from uh, the things that you have to share with them for sure. So before we start out, can you give us a brief background on yourself and uh, what type of work you're doing currently? Okay. Um, I am a legacy visual artist. I've been at this since I was very, very young. And uh, I, I really am blessed. I've had a knack of being award-winning and I uh, won my first one when I was 10. <laughs> Ended up on the cover of the Washington Post. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. So I've kind of been, I think that's where, you know, I took a turn toward um, thinking about it seriously. I got exposed very, very early um, at an early age three. And trust me, I can remember it. Um, my, <laughs> my godmother was a painter. Uh, my friend, my father uh, had two friends that were, one was an uh, art high school teacher in Washington, D.C., and another one was a uh, life and look kind of uh, out of the era of Gordon Parks, photographer in Washington. And so visiting him, he turned one of his bathrooms into, you know, a real live back in the day um, dark room. So these things, uh, along with, um, you'll hear me always talk about, um, you know, to locate me, I, I'm 
I grew up like the kids have the iPad uh, in their lap. I grew up during a season of transition of technology from television shows uh, were radio shows, believe it or not. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so my day was part listening to radio shows and then part listening to television, uh, which was new. And then even through the era of television, black and white television becoming uh, color, which was NBC came on with a peacock at six o'clock. And so if your family was lucky enough to have a color TV, you could switch over from your black and white with the rabbit ear antennas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and so those are kind of early uh, uh, fragrances of the whole journey of want- wanting to be an artist. And then, like I said, um, a, a Girl Scout competition, uh, I won and I ended up on the cover of the Washington Post and um, the Washington Star and uh, at the age of 10. And I've been kind of at it uh, ever since. And then uniquely, I started another marker for me. Uh, I give these markers so people can locate um, the journey and have a frame of reference of, I am legacy with this. This is, I have a motto now, it's not, I'm not new to this, I'm true to this. There's not much about this um, that, that I don't know about being a visual art, artist in North America. Um, and so these markers are very important historical notes. And one that kind of puts us in, in a framework is I started college touring. Um, the uh, day Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I was the first, uh, I was admitted to, um, with that said, I, I got an admission to Rhode Island School of Design. Uh, in their response to the minority recruitment program they developed um, to recruit um, uh, mostly black and Hispanic, but then it was mostly a few Puerto Rican um, students, uh, graduating class, entry class, September, 1970, which had been in response to a student demand um, in like manner of what the students are doing now in 1970, uh, Rizzi established um, a minority recruit program. And uh, I was in that first program, um, which about 40 kids of basically they were Black and uh, Puerto Rican. And uh, coming out of New York City, uh, art, art and high school, art and design high school, they brought about 40 of us and we landed on RISD Beach. okay i'll picture that (laughs) yeah was was that recruitment from um just like the new york upstate manhattan new york city area or was it was it more i i don't know all i know is that i came in from washington dc i had one girlfriend coming in from long island and the majority of the rest, I think they just went down to New York City into the high school of art and design and pulled out 38 kids, right. over 38 kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just wondering how far out they spread that. that yeah, search. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, definitely East Coast and de- definitely um, uh, the urban cities. I don't know about Philadelphia, yeah. but de- and then I, I was not. I wasn't like they came to me. Um, I wanted to go. And oh, so when, mm, yeah. Okay. So when I applied, I discovered that they were recruiting. Right. So I, I can't necessarily say they came into Washington. Uh, I know I see. that right, right. I know that I applied, and when I applied, I realized they were on a search for talented um, kids from these areas. And um, 
mostly black African-American kids. So I jumped in on the bandwagon of that interest and um, I landed Rhode Island School of Design in uh, 1970. Um, and um, uh, unfortunately, two weeks before, which is in my story, uh, two weeks before my sophomore year, I was to return. My father, um, un well, it's not that he was unexpectedly, he was unexpected young and died. Literally, literally. <laughs> Two weeks before, um, at the end of the summer, August 1971, he, he passed away. Wow. And, yeah. And um, I needed to get back to the mid-Atlantic. I'm from, from Washington. I needed to get back and have my, help my mom and my brother, who was a, a teen. And um, Micah took me in. Maryland is two college yeah. words. So I, fin I finished there. And then, um, you know, I... I went to the Mid-Atlantic after graduation. I went to DC and I had a full, um, I'm a broadcast design. Um, well, you know, I've had a knack for winning awards. I'm a broadcast <laughs> design winner, okay, of, of, of the era, 10 years. And then um, my husband um, got a, a job offer. He finished um, business school. And next thing I knew I was in New York and the rest of it is, um, all of my work and my studio and the story that goes on and on and my advocacy that lives on and on, which I'm very, very happy about at this point. And, you know, I'm a trade writer. And uh, right now um, I have a very interesting charge um, that I have reframed um, in that I, I am I'm guest lecturing across ACAD and ASAD and university platform. I'm teaching at four universities um, and, and a real, I'm addressing a real move to decolonize um, our design education. And I have a working course um, that um, is, I think it's solid. I know it's solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and what I do is I wrap around synoptic history around the canon. All right, so. Um, mm, okay. Yeah, so the, the basic structure of the canon, um, which look, I've been I've been trained by three ACAD and ASAT schools. So I know my canon. Okay, and I know my art, <laughs> oh, yeah. art yeah. history. I know my art yeah. history. What what um I'm exposing and broadening the perspective of of the dominant community that there are synoptic stories that need to be told. A synoptic is not parallel. Right. Synoptic means that we're looking at the same history but from two different lenses. So all of my basic canonical lessons, the tenets of um, the history, which really feels um, uh, is outlined in Meg's Hollis and the like Drucker, uh, it's, it's, it's a basic 13, 15 chapter story, you know, from cuneiform all the way down to, you know, postmodernism. Every, every lecture, um, I give the sound canon, which is European and, and, and um, Anglo-centric, uh, but I wrap I wrap other synap synoptic stories around, which is very fascinating. So that's as an, great. Yeah, as an example, one of my favorite um, blocks of time is the Renaissance, and so I don't have to tell you about the Renaissance and the technology of the era, the development of technology. We're looking at you know all of our stories about Caslon and Baskerville and, and stone lithography and you know we go on and on and the in the lectures uh from the books 
and the history that most of us have learned. Uh, we're looking at Bible illuminations. We're looking at the book of Psalms. We're looking at the common book of prayer. We're looking at the flourishes. We're looking, and that's beautiful. Beautiful. Right. But my history parallels and a synoptic view, the same era, the transatlantic slave trade. And I show you how that technology is used to sell Africans. And one of my favorite uh, applications is the branding of tobacco. So the oh, branding of tobacco, yeah, the branding of tobacco using the exact same technology. So if you know your, if you know your um, European Anglo canon, like I do, okay, you, you know we're talking about Caslon, you know we're talking about woodcut, and you know that we're talking about Baskerville. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. okay, we you, you look. If I say common book of prayer, if you've studied those flourishes and the the type specs, the spec sheets and all that, that all that should just come flooding, you know. Um, but what I show you, I show you that because that's a responsibility. I'm teaching design education. You must know that. I don't. I don't. Dis, I don't distract from the canon. Okay, the canon is the canon. What I want to show you is what the colonizers did with it also. Right. Okay, That's so, fascinating. Right. So they sold Africans. All right. And so all of the um, posters and ads and things for selling that Africans. Um, but I'm fascinated with the branding and strategy, the branding strategy of selling tobacco. The branding strategy uses the technology, but let's talk about this branding strategy first. The Branding strategy is, let's take a tobacco sleeve, a sleeve that just goes around tobacco leaves. After the Africans are here, <laughs> they're, they're growing and harvesting tobacco. Okay, Britain has a tobacco business. So after the selling to the Africans, they're selling tobacco. Now the strategy is made in America by London or made in America by Britain. That's the strategy. The imagery, woodcuts, of typically the slave, native, <laughs> the captive, all right? right. Uh, okay, uh, a black slave image with a white slave patriarchal image. And that could be the master of the, as a farmer, the master of the plantation or a white ship owner, the captain mm-hmm. of the ship. And that two imagery is in a woodcut, in a piece of lithography, wrapped around flourishes and ornaments, and then the words are in Caslon. So I study and I give you, I give you the comic book of prayer. I give you the history of Caslon. I give you the specimen sheets, but I give you all, oh, by the way. Right. Right. Oh, by the way, the technology is used to sell Africans. Here are your, here are your ads, your billboards, your posters, and don't let one of them run away. <laughs> don't let one run away because then we've got runaway slave ads and posters. And I, listen, and my favorite product is the strategy for selling tobacco and the usage of that strategy. Uh, and so you see the Caslon in use, you see the woodcut in use, and the imagery. Uh, the imagery of the slave and the white owner with a whip 
right there on the sleeves. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the sleeves are printed, the cigar bags are printed, and the tops of the boxes are printed. And so I let you know how this technology is also being used. Wow, that's powerful. That's a decolonized one lecture. Every lecture is like that. I like that word you're using too, the decolonized. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, each one. And just that I'm not going to go through another lecture, but one of my other ones favorite. And I and, and I just find it's so interesting that how we have made worship so many of these lectures, like the Will, William Morris lecture of arts right. and crafts. Mm. Arts mm-hmm. and crafts. Oh my God. When I say that, don't you see all the little colleges and paints? <laughs> Don't you see that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All those florals. Yeah. All that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that yeah. beautiful? In his story. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, William Garrison and, and Frederick Douglass are abolitionists using the same technology. They're making the same newspapers. They're using the same typefaces and they're trying to set the slaves free. Yeah. Wow. And so the same, same period of time. So we juxtapose two Williams. And that's, I, you know, I could go on and on. Each week, I do that. Each yeah, week, wow. Each week. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And I have to support, I have to lift up um, uh, Roger Williams University. Um, I'm distinguished scholar in res- virtual residence, I think. And uh, the University of Texas, I'm distinguished senior lecturer. And they've allowed me to work out this class. Great. Yeah. And so I'm teaching it. I'm documenting it. I, I'm, I'm sure I'll be uh, writing the book to it. But right now, it's a basic 15 lectures. Oh, uh, I would and, love and, to see that book. Yeah. And each one, what, where my book is a little, I mean, where my spin is a little different, because um, I see a lot of work out now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am juxtaposing the actual uh, 13 to 15 week canon okay. study. Okay. Uh, I don't segment it out. Oh, well, this is black history. You know, no, this is decol. My work is decolonizing. I'm going to show you that, that, that Renaissance juxtaposed the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. I'm, I'm showing you exactly what else the colonizers are doing with that technology. They would only, these books only tell you um, the Bible pages. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I was just looking up just because I was trying to verify my um, my knowledge and my background. I lived in Rochester, New York, and Rochester, New York is um, where Frederick Doug- Douglass uh, is laid to rest in the uh, in the cemetery there. But that's where the North Star newspaper, uh, anti-slavery newspaper, was was from. Yeah, and yeah. and Garrison's Liberator, and so the technology. I studied the tech. I in my classes, I lift up. The newspaper and the mm-hmm. type, the type, the same, the same type that we're talking about that only appear in the books. I'm showing you. Well, hey, look, guess who else has got newspapers and look what else is being printed and look what else story. OK, and look at the headline type. Look at look at this. I'm going to show you what else. And, and every lecture is that way, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. moves into the Victorian era. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you want to talk about uh, uh, the birthing of the exhibition out of Victorian era. Let me tell you about W.E.B. Du Bois going to the 1900 exhibition. Let me talk to you about um, the, the, the template of the exhibition receiving Edward Bannister 
okay, and his story, how history has, you know, um, forgotten to mention that he was one of the first founding um, uh, trustees, a black man of Rhode Island School of Design and started the Providence Art Club. Okay, and so who's gonna tell you this? Right. Who's gonna tell you this? So we'll be focused right there on the, you know, Queen Victoria and her husband doing the exhibition. Let me, let, let me show you some other things about that exhibition. So each, each, each lecture, I, I'm putting a, lens, putting a lens on it to show you other things that the technology, which is being developed and created, I show you what else is being done with it. Right. Yeah. I've got some questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait to see if they fit better uh, later on wait. in the, uh, in the conversation. So I have a question for you. One of the one of the things that we've been talking to people about is the importance of recognition um, and how sometimes that doesn't how that doesn't line up with necessarily how people what they're recognized for isn't necessarily uh, lining up with what they want to be known or recognized for. So let me ask you, um, what do you think most people would know or recognize you for? What effort? What work? Um, and what would you like to be known and recognized for? I'm recognized exactly the way I want to be. Good. Good. And people always ask me these questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would you like to be like? And who would inspire? No, I I know exactly. There's a there's a there's a thin line between assurance and arrogance. I'm extremely yeah. crystal clear. I know exactly who I am, and I know exactly. Since I was a young woman, mm -hmm. um, I know exactly what I'm doing. And it is not by accident. What we have here today is actually actually what I planned out. I am known, I'm known as an award-winning designer who is a trade, a recognized trade industry trade writer. And I have a legacy, I have legacy work that continues, can absolutely continues in the life of inspiring not only BIPOC designers. Okay, but but women, the whole platform, you know, what's happening to me now mm -hmm. is lifetime acknowledgement. You have to be in the same place at the same time. I'm one of the I'm one of the eldest. Um, I'm the only the only one I know BIPOC, meaning black indigenous people of color. I have four, four grandparents, four different places, four different races. Okay. I don't have another peer that I know that is genuine to that kind of ethnicity and race and culture and discussion and have it documented like I'm doc like today is transfer day 19 uh, March 31st. Uh, my whole story is on the cover of transfer day recognition, the U.S. Virgin Islands transfer celebration 1917 when the U.S. purchased the Danish West Indies from um, uh, the U.S. bought the U.S. Virgin Islands from the Danish and the Danish West Indies became the territory of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, my story is documented, scholarship, written, acknowledged. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scholar, you know? And so with that, when it comes to the table of um, discussion and BIPOC, I, you know, I am the OG, <laughs> I am the OG BIPOC. That's genuine. <laughs> right. And the kids, are relate this young scholars are relating to me because mm -hmm. I'm everybody's auntie, 
Tia Ate. Okay, that's just a, it's a don't call me Nana and we're going to be all right. <laughs> don't, don't call me Granny. We're going to go. We're going to be all right. There <laughs> so, you go. So, so auntie, auntie is good. And uh, the answer to your question, I started out the only place where I made a conscious decision. Okay, is um, when I when I did transfer, my father had passed away. I went to RISD to, to paint. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a painter. Mm-hmm. And when he passed away, um, and I didn't know my high school sweetheart was actually going to be my husband. When I got to when I got to Mike, I said, Cheryl, you better learn something so you can get a job. So right there, sophomore year, which is the year that you 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 claim a major, I went yeah. into graphic design. In okay. terms of in terms of visual arts and this whole lifetime is just that. i this is the only thing I've done. Yeah. And uh you know, I didn't go off doing, you know, some other kind of design or this, that, and the other. I've been right here 50 years. So if all of a sudden everybody's seeing lifetime kind of stuff, well, it starts with recognition for these things. You have to have lived a lifetime in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You couldn't give up. You, you know, I, I I uniquely paused and came back. I paused, I, I paused to raise a kid. But my work kept coming back for me. Stanford came, you know, Stanford came for my collect, you know, for my collection I have now. Print wanted me to write, you know, and I have to acknowledge my very first editor. So the mm-hmm. answer to your question, you know, with a magnifying glass that I always tell everyone, it was my very first editor for print magazine who gave me the key to Cheryl, I'm gonna tell you how, how to have a legacy voice. He said, you're in, you're, you're in New York City. And just the fact that you're still here. <laughs> see, you don't understand. You may not remember this or know this, but New York City, you, the kids would come in like that. We can go on LinkedIn and Zoom around now. That's not the way it was. You had to come into New York City. OK, come in on the train, or the shuttle, mostly the trailways, a Greyhound bus with your portfolio. And you walked around to studio, to studio, to studio. And if you didn't have a job in two or three weeks, you were out of there. Right. Oh, yeah. That was it. So my first editor, Tom Goss, print magazine, you know, Martin Fox, who was the publisher, assigned Tom to me. And he said, Cheryl, you're a good designer. You're here in New York. If you're not if you're not a good designer, you would have been gone a long time ago. Right. <laughs> exactly. OK, so your basic your basic requirement for being here, the fact that you're here and you're selling and you've got a business, all right, um, you wouldn't be here, sweetie. <laughs> you would have been gone months ago. You'd have been out of here because you don't make it after three weeks. No friend in New York City, no friend is going to help you pay your rent. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if you so- can't carry your own in a couple of weeks, you're you know, it's like, dear, I love you, but you really have to go. Okay. And the next <laughs> friend isn't going to pick you up with your little portfolio. That's not the That's way. right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, Tom, so Tom said to me, um, Cheryl, your voice, your advocacy is what's going to give you notoriety and let you leave a legacy. And you just stay right there with that. He says, that's going to be a distinguishing mark up and against everyone. You are going to be known by your, by your writing, by your voice, by your advocacy. And oh, by the way, you are award-winning. So the answer to your question is, 
I am exactly <laughs> what I set out. And the only switch was I moved from painting to graphics because my father died and I said, oh, girl, you better get a job. All right. And I've been very blessed with this, but this is not without a lifetime of work right. over and against the white supremacy and the race, systemic racist practices of the mid-century. And uh, I am blessed to be alive and sustainable and have re repurposed it. And I keep going. You know, I had a young young professor uh, tell me at a recent lecture, Miss um, Miller, you just deputized everybody. I'm like, yeah, you got to keep going. This is not a moment. This is a movement. And there's a strong, rich history. 50 years, that's one of my lectures, the 50-year history of where are the Black designers. It started way, way, way before me. And so right. the acknowledgement of the problem, um, those that I'm actually, um, you know, I'm lecturing with Micah, Mm -hmm. um, in the weeks ahead, uh, and that's going to be the premier discussion. Um, there's a rich history that um, hashtag where are the black designers, the young scholars on Instagram, you know, they must know that they just did not come up with this, that there's been a price paid and there is a story and a legacy. Answer to your question, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Good. And I'm doing just what I planned. Good. And I'm very grateful uh, that um, I'm, I'm still here to reframe it, to reuse the wisdom. I feel a responsibility, you know, to uh, make sure if I don't write it, I give you enough footnotes. That's why I have these collections at Stanford that the young scholars can go, you know, into the database and so forth and do, do the next leg of work. I'm, I might not do all of the writing that goes with the ingredients I will leave. And that's that's a part of my mission. Right. Hey, let me ask you a question. Let me. Um, so you talked about your your wonderful success and um, you know a little bit of the path to get there. And I know the path wasn't always easy, but you've also talked a little bit about um, the canons. So notoriety. What's your thoughts about notoriety in general? Now again, you know we talked about what we know in the canons but we talk about your notoriety as well. So even that, even that word, how does in general about design and notoriety? And I, I never sought to be notorious. I sought to tell the truth and I've been telling the truth um, since I hit New York city. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it important for young designers to, to be looking for that notoriety or, um, is there something else they should set out for? Like you, you've, I mean, you were talked to a little bit about it's your legacy. Yeah. Uh, if, if you go after notoriety, you're not going to get anything. If that's your goal. <laughs> okay. Okay. If that's your goal, you're not going to make it. All right. The only thing that has given me a voice now is consistency. And I didn't give up. I just share with you, I've been doing this since I was 19 years old in terms of specifically graphic design. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I faced racism um, getting into RISD uh, by my high school. If you, you know, my lectures, I point to, you know, uh, a strategic plan to keep my transfer from leaving my high school, um, my, yeah, my transcript from leaving my high school to Rhode Island School of Design. Um, I've been I've been fighting this since I was 19 years old. 
and I tell the truth with it since I was 19 years old. So I didn't, and I'm, I, and I'm unapologetic and I was given, I have to celebrate print magazine um, because of the era, uh, the history points to both communication arts and print having published this uh, situation that, that, um, Black creatives face in 1968, it started with publishing an awareness of, of Dorothy Hayes um, and, and, and her work uh, with her Blue Ballon. And there's a whole history and a whole lecture that goes with it. There's, there's, there's a team of designers in front of me at least 10, 15 years. And I stepped, I stepped onto a path of this drama. I had no idea. All right. And uh, you know, so I've been here with it the entire time. The notoriety has come because I was given a platform to write. And that, and it was my scholarship. It was the thesis from Pratt, my graduate work, that got published. It was the first of its kind to get published. I'll never mm -hmm. say I'm the first of anything, okay? Um, but it's the, one that, it's the one that got recognized. And with that said, um, my 1987 article was Prince's second entry into the discussion of where are the black designers, the first having been 1968 with an article written by Dorothy Jackson about, about Dorothy Hayes and five black designers in New York, which was only reflective of um, one tenth of the population that was there. That so just you will you know, you will hear me juxtapose, everybody wants to talk about Milton Glaser, all right? Right, and and I have some great zingers about that. Um, uh, I think there's a lecture of the public, something coming up here in the public presence of public posters or something at the Lincoln Center. And you will hear me always say, um, did Milton Glaser have to do Mahalia Jackson? Did, did Newport Jazz Festival, the Lincoln Center, couldn't they, couldn't they have found um, someone from Dorothy Hayes' community of um, 49 Black designers who were Milton's um, peers in age? Could, they, they couldn't give not one, one of them Aretha Franklin? Like, really? Right. <laughs> so right. you will hear me say these things because I was there. Mm -hmm. You will hear me say these things because it's the truth. Mm -hmm. So when I when I when I hear a lecture about the posters and era of the Lincoln Center, they're going to talk about Milton Glaser's posters, and I'm going to say, "Okay, well that's wonderful. I want he's the canon. Who's going to undo that?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I'm going to hear to tell you, there were 49, five, I think it was five women, five women, or four women. There's a list. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, of a well-documented list of um, 49 Black designers out of the era, the exact era, which is about 10 or 15 years in front of me, that any one of them could have done Mahalia Jackson. I'm like, really? Okay, I can see Milton doing Stevie Wonder. Okay, I can see, okay, you give him Aretha Franklin. You're going to give him a Black gospel song? You couldn't find a black designer to do Mahalia Jackson for the Newport Jazz Festival? Really? Really? Come on. Right. Come on. Yeah. So when, so, I, say these, so when I say these things, you know, I know they're sho shockers, 
you know, I know there's zingers, but they're truthful. There's nothing positive or negative. It makes the right. community look at itself. Right. The disparity was there. I never yeah. thought of that. And then while I'm, while I'm here, you know, one of the one of my greatest notes is, did you know Milton's partner with Pushpin was Ronald Ruffins, a black man? He's still right. alive, 95 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. Ronald Ruffins, do you know him? You should know him. Right. Okay. And many people don't know that. They just don't know that Milton's partner was a black man, Reynolds Ruffins. Right. Okay. And so, so that's a part of my charge that I'm willing to remember, tell the truth, and make sure at least from my archives and my notes and my records, um, it's documented and left someplace. I'm not saying I'm the only one. I got a few peers left. Anybody can do this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I've committed this Stay at home and pandemic has given me time to focus, stand still, continue to do this work. And Stanford is working with me and my my friends. I you know I have forty contributors into this database, and I'm lecturing my these decolonized um, lectures. I'm just telling the truth, mm-hmm. and and I'm willing to tell the truth, and that's all I'm doing. Right. Because I'm an eyewitness to much of this because I started so young and I've stayed with it. I've been doing this since I was a teenager. So this this work and this great research you're doing on decolonizing design history. Let me ask you, um, have you have you uncovered any um, news stories or surprising information or evidence about women, uh, Mm -hmm. African-American women graphic designers? Well, it's not so much African-American women. It's about women. Women. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in the last print magazine article published October 40th, 20th, uh, 2020, October 2020. Yes. Black designers forward in action. Okay. Part four. I have a combination of footnotes that show me the first black graphic designer is the slave artisan right off of the boat from Africa into Williamsburg. It's very well documented. I've got a stack. I've got an incredible stack of footnotes that need to be uh, seen together in a narrative beyond. uh, It's the work of about two or three um, writers and W.E.B. Du Bois, they give me the white supremacist tactic. They give me my footnotes as the slave artisan, uh, a dialogue and journey about the runaway slave ads. And trust me, the slave artisan is right right from Africa, um, comes to the table of being the first uh, not recognized black graphic designer and erasure uh, with an unusual footnote of um, after all that research, the Williamsburg, um, <laughs> the Williamsburg website will tell you right there, come visit Williamsburg and visit the press where, where, where the enactment of the runaway slave and the slave artisan is right there. I went all the way around Robinson barn and Williamsburg welcome Welcome, come take a trip, gives me a tour of the press shop and tells me the history right there. Yeah. Okay. 
but stay with me. You asked me a specific question. Yeah, yeah. What led me to the systemic practice after slavery into emancipation where white men had to deal with the slave now being competition. Mm. I discovered union trade and union minutes from the printers and typographic meetings where they're discussing, oh, what are we gonna do with the slaves? Are we gonna give them cards? These minutes talk about they're afraid, they're scared of competition. This is real. These are, these are real minutes. The answer to your question, before, before the typesetters and the printing unions discuss what are we gonna do with now we gotta compete with the slave? Really? Are we gonna give them access? Are we gonna give them a trade membership? Are we gonna give them a card? Are we, you know, we're gonna take this workforce now and compete with them? I don't think so. Okay. And then now we got laws and listen, I got footnotes. Can't we send them back? This is these are our professionals. Can can we send them back into slavery? Well, right there in those notes, Mandy. Yeah. Before they discuss what in the world are we going to do with the slaves? At the top of these notes and these minutes. No women, we don't even have time to talk about it. Done. Do you know the slave got more conversation in my notes and footnotes than the woman? No women. No, we're not even going to discuss. No women, nothing. Annihilated. No voice. No participation. No. Don't hire a one. Wow. Footnotes. The slave got more consideration after emancipation in the Civil War than woman. There are few women in Virginia, and I learned this from the website, from the Williamsburg website will tell you about this. A couple of women inherited a print shop. One, I think one in Boston, I can't, can't confirm that, but I can confirm the one in Virginia. They inherited it from their husbands having passed. But there's a whole dialogue. You can do the research, a young scholar can do it. You know, the original women who were, typesetters and printers. And then I have scholarship that shows um, women being uh, during the era of W.E.B. Du Bois, Spelman College, Mm -hmm. Spelman College, which is women's college. They had a whole press. Okay. So, and I've got, I've got pictures yet to release where we see women, um, black women in the, in the, in the composing room. Okay. But it wasn't because the white man let them in. And the the white man had a plan for the women in my notes, none. And I sent them to you. I sent them to you. Mm -hmm. Read them carefully. Those are earnest minutes. And those notes go right in front of, before they start talking about the slave, they're talking about women. And so all of this culture, okay, it moves right through the history 
of New York City. It really, it really does. It, it really does. I don't know about other areas. I'm a New York based designer. Mm-hmm. I came, I, I, you know, I, I'm Northeast corridor, you know, mid century into right now, 21st century discussion. And the only thing I can tell you is I felt the culture. I know the culture and I have refused to be outdone by the culture. And I, I still think that that is still uh, a situation for young black female designers uh, trying to break into the industry. And I think it's important to them to have um, role models to look up to um, and, and knowing uh, some of the, the information that you're sharing also is, is I think vital to people of all gender and all ethnicities to understand the the struggles and what have you. Did you have any, people that you looked up to um, that you recognized or had notoriety in um, that helped inspire you as you started out? No. Do you think it's important for our young designers today to be having, having that? Yes. The difference being is I don't know another Cheryl Miller. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And, 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 And you shared with us some of your stories about, interviewing and going agency to agency and and wondering, you know, what's going on here too. Yeah. But it never stopped me. There's such a history of this issue now that the community in many ways um, is some of the young design scholars are, are weakened emotionally because this is not a new story, it's an ancient story that has multiplied itself through the culture of academia, okay, and and, um, and the industry. There are more of us now, it's endless, the black creatives that are here. Successful, competitive, um, but the systemic, Racist practices and white supremacy, the culture of it, um, it's breaking up because this is not a moment. This is a movement. Just overall things have to change. Right. Um, And the answer to your question is not everybody has the Constitution like a Cheryl Miller. You know, and I could fight the battle. And I did so when I was young. And I pushed back and I took care of myself. And I was aggressive off off of the oppressor. And I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I had to reframe every no into a yes. And not without cost and not without a whole lot of work. I don't want anyone I don't want not one design scholar to go through not one moment of what I went through. You know, that's the only thing I can say. And if the fact that I can still tell this story and be an inspiration, if I can stand marching in place for 50 years, you know, these guys go five years and they're, you know, exhausted. I'm like, no, no. Right. I had no design help. I didn't have a design mentor. None. 
None. None. And a lot of the people that we that we're talking to, uh, Amanda and I share that there's been a change even in the student body in design education, and it's been it it now is primarily women. I would say it's probably almost a, a nine to one uh, ratio of students. So, and we've also noticed that there's a disparity of of women in um, higher um, job roles in the design industry as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's going to be, well, one, I think Mandy's, Mandy has a question specifically about women in graphic design history, you know, regarding that. Um, but, you, you know, you've mentioned a few names, but how do we, besides just us talking and communicating and you sharing the lectures, how, how do we just make that awareness to these young women that there are very successful women in design and women of women of all color as well? Well, first off, I do want to share with you that there is a, an incredible women's ally movement. Um, marching in place. I liken it to Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth. There there is a, a white woman, there's a woman, there's a feminist ally. You take all of us and just make us women. <laughs> However, there is an ally movement. And we are collaborating and working. It's a very powerful movement. And um, we are reconciling. We are collaborating. We are taking our hands together. And um, we're moving the needle. Um, I interviewed Paul Rand in 1994. before he died, and this is recorded. I think the last time I teased you with it. Yes, yes. Right. He said that his class was mostly women. He called them girls. And in essence, he tells me uh, they're better designers and they're the future. Paraphrased. Wow. And I recorded it. And, that's the only thing I can tell you. So if we if we <laughs> called Rand the godfather of us all, he told Cheryl Miller before he died that he believed in the women. That's fantastic. So um, of course we're making this this documentary film hopefully someday with the you know once we can hopefully get past this pandemic. Um, so we're going to talk about women, of course, and how they are represented in graphic design history or not. Obviously, there's there's been a major disparity in the graphic design history textbooks about women. So I, I want to ask you, how important do you think uh, a project like this is? How important do you think it is for women to be represented in graphic design history oh, and for their stories to be told? Of course. And what's, what I got to celebrate is uh, AIGA Design has been running a series. Um, Ion Design has been running. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the story of us participating, and uh, you know, um, 
all the way from Bar House on. And I'm telling you, we're there. Okay. Yes. It has everything to do with who's recording the history. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it in a nutshell. So unless we are writing and recording the history, um, l- listen, I, 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 I have a, a brilliant young uh, BIPOC design scholar. We're, we're launching out. We're, I claim it. We're doing it. Okay. So not only do I have the decolonizing going on, <laughs> I got the decolonizing going on, but um, Tashika Arsenal Sutton. Um, she's what a designer, what a design scholar. And she's been lecturing um, the history of black female graphic designers. And uh, she's lecturing with me at Micah. She has on her own platform, um, I think on the 16th of April. Um, and uh, she's writing a book I'm editing and doing the forward, um, the history of black female, uh, black graphic designers. And we've got a very rich story. And um, I'm not the only one, I've got girlfriends and before me and all the way up um, from the Harlem Renaissance, all the way, all the way back um, it, as far as the print, the print shop, we've got a story of um, black women designers. Mm-hmm. And um, she's doing um, the scholarship with that and writing the book and lecturing. We're, all, we're already lecturing um, and she's doing the lecturing and I'm just hang, hanging out, passing the baton. <laughs> right, right. Um, but she is one of the, I'm telling you, Miss Sutton is an incredible designer, an incredible scholar. You can find her um, uh, at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She's teaching graduate uh, graduate in the MFA program there. She's got a paper trail, a CV that's like, oh my goodness. And she's just quietly doing the work and um, she's writing this book and she'll be lecturing. We'll be lecturing together. I say we're lecturing together. She's lecturing and I'm just kind of <laughs> hanging out because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm one of the eldest. I didn't say I was the only one. I said, I'm, I'm one of the eldest. There you go. Right. Yeah. And that so, sounds like a fantastic uh, project. Yeah. So we, we're doing that. And um, you know what it is? I'm partnering with, um, I'm partnering with my, um, some of my sons and daughters, nieces and nephews. I'm, I'm, I'm like passing the baton. So she's a writer and a scholar. And so I said, oh, you do it, you do it. And I'll just write the little paragraph on the back. There you go. Yeah. Right. yeah. I saw her give a talk a little bit about, about some of her research, <laughs> um, especially she was talking about Louise East Jefferson. It was fantastic. Um, so my next question is uh, one of our goals with this documentary film is to create, to create a documentary film that appeals to a range of women. And of course, men too, um, about design history um, in the industry. So from, from anyone from long practicing designers such as yourself, but also appeals to young designers, students and educators. So I wanna ask you, what would you like to see in a documentary film about female graphic designers and, and how they're represented in history? I just think a full palette of, okay, here's your catalog. This is what they did. You know, I think looking at the basic, um, you know, paper trail where we went to school, 
uh, some quotes uh, focusing on the portfolio work, positives, hindrances. Um, telling the story alone is, is important. As many as you can integrate into one piece. Um, and also the don't rehearse the same drama of hmm. making us worship the same ones. I mean, I, wait, I got answers. I've been working on answers for, okay, <laughs> what, I mean, look, I hate to be disrespectful. I do, I'm not disrespectful, I'm truthful. But if I hear one more story about Mill Glazer, Saul Bass, Lou Dorsman, Tom Geismer, Seymour Quas, they, they are ghosts that monopolize our standards and let no one else in. Who keeps telling these stories over and over and over again? Right. Okay, so I wanna see us not keep telling the same stories over and over again to the point where these people won't rest. Oh, I forgot Paul ran too. There. <laughs> they won't, we won't let them rest. So I'm not disrespectful. How am I not gonna be a designer and not give respect to these men? How? That's impossible. Right. That's not what that's not what I'm about. Right. What I'm about is let them rest. Let them rest. Yeah. I like the way you put that. Yeah. It's like we haven't forgotten. No. We're gonna let them rest. Let yeah. them rest. Yeah. Let's focus on our future and our future young designers. Yeah, let let yeah. Let, let and 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 let let the women take a seat, you know, and and don't keep rehearsing the same ones over again. So you know what you guys do? You go, you go to the AIGA medalist page, and the next thing you know, I keep seeing the same. I'm like, can't you all do some other kind of research? It's the same ladies. Don't do the same thing. Making an elitist club out of the voices that seem to get, you know, so create new voices and new stories and document them and let them recycle. Okay. We 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 are an elitist little group of people. Agreed. <laughs> This is what we do. We do yeah. this exclusionary elite. It's, do you know that that's a white supremacist practice? Do you know that? To make an elite, to make elitist space to say that nobody else can come in. It's a practice. It subordinates, it subjugates. It creates hierarchy. Just stop. Don't do the same thing. Okay, and so we rehearse these folks over and over and over again. Isn't somebody else here? <laughs> You're right. Hey, okay. Cheryl. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's the way I feel. Come on, let's tell some other stories here. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. That's right. I'd like to, um, as we're getting close to closing on time here, I'd like to ask all of our guests to leave us with some words of wisdom. Now, the trick is you have given us almost an hour's worth of awesome wisdom. Right. So... If you were to, if you had a young design student um, come to you and and uh, you had a moment to give them some advice and some wisdom, what would you like to leave them with? Hmm. Well, first off, clearly understand that this is a business to business skill skill set, purpose, plan, and mission. There is nothing else 
about being a graphic designer other than business. That's number one. So in other words, and the last time I looked, the Fortune 1000 is mostly white business. So learn to do business, <laughs> learn to design for it. And I, I'm coming up with a new dialogue for designers of a variety of color because the white dominant corporate, corporate America needs design voices of diversity because they can't represent the globe very well. They make, I have a lecture white default, they try, but they're still thinking about 1959 Barbie. Everybody fits in that. And the color yeah. nude, the color nude is still pink. Okay. They have a hard time seeing. I, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at white privilege with this. It's time to grow. It's time to grow and understand that there's a whole wide world of business out here. And you need diverse designers. I'm coming up with a new term. Hybrid, hybrid, hybrid ethnographic designer. <laughs> oh yeah. Watch me. <laughs> Watch my posts. Watch my dialogues and my blogs. Yeah. Hybrid ethnographic designers who can do your Swiss grid and sit on a team. Can any can anybody do anything Latinx? <laughs> Wait, no. Okay. All right. So where these spots and teams and so forth. I'm telling the young designers, learn your international. And, and be bold and assertive about being ethnographic and diverse and pitch it, sell it. Mm -hmm. Because there's a place for you, okay? Excellence in craftsmanship. Learn to Swiss, go ahead, learn it. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and stop having, stop having a fit about it. Learn it. Fortune 1000, they're gonna want you to know. Flush yes. left, rag right, Helvetica, Catholic school, United Healthcare Blue, you gotta know it. But what you don't know is they don't know the stuff you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and when you could try to take an attitude, oh, I know, see, it's one thing to know international design, and it's another thing to know global design. Mm -hmm. You try, yes. see what McDonald's, see what McDonald's looks like in South America. See what McDonald's looks like in China. See what McDonald's looks like in the Mediterranean. See. And white designers can't always see that. They need the global perspective and be proud and to sell. Uh, yeah. Miller says, I'm a, I, I'm a hybrid ethnographic designer. Oh, yes, you are. So sell it. Use it. Lean in it, into it. Because... White graphic design, white default graphic design, no matter how much they try. That's why this work, we have to go together. They can't mm -hmm. see it. And where it's all starting to be level at the ground, academia and industry, is PMS 354. You know what three you know what PMS 354 is? I'm Green. Yeah. Green, okay. Green. Yeah, I was I was trying. I couldn't get that quick enough. Green. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, somebody somebody fact check me. I'm sure PMS three five four is green. I'm on it. Hang on. Is it? What what number three? Three five four. Three five four. Three five four. Hang on. Here it comes. 
It is green. money green, like you money wouldn't green. believe. And Finance so once green. we once we can get there together, okay, then I'm gonna need you and you're gonna need me. And that's what's different. That's what's different now for where we are than where I started. Like it or not, white default of the design industry is having to agree with this moment. They're having to, whether they like it or not. So I'm telling everybody, let's just go together. Mm-hmm. They love that. That is everybody, great. Every, that. everybody rests and have some peace. And let's let's go together and we'll get there together. This is not this is not a moment. This 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 is a movement. This is a movement. On that note, Cheryl, I am gonna say thank you and bless you for sharing us with your wisdom and your words today. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. And listen, it's it's love, it's level at the ground at the printing digital press, three, five, four. And one of these guys will give me my digital numbers for that since since everything is paid. <laughs> Yeah, they're digital numbers for that green. There you go. Get that hex color going. (laughs) That's what it is, hex color. All right. right. Cheryl, I can't wait to get you back on the podcast. We hope to see you soon then and uh, let our listeners hear from you again. Thanks so much. All right. Wear your mask. (laughs) Get vaccine. God bless guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deducts on Facebook as Design Deducts Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore deducts. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.